From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders in Asia about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. Welcome to another episode of The Venture. For our seventh episode, I'm excited to welcome Joel Leong, CEO and co-founder of Shopback. Shopback launched in Singapore in 2014 and is Asia's largest rewards and discovery platform today, giving users cash back while delivering performance-based marketing with a high and measurable ROI to over 2,500 merchants. In 2019, Shopback saw a 250% year-over-year growth in sales and orders and has to date awarded over $130 million US of cash back to their 20 million plus users. The company has also raised over 100 million since inception, closing its extended Series B round in 2020. There's a lot to cover. Welcome, Joel. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, man. Shopback was launched in 2014. You have over 500 employees now. You've raised over 100 million. For people who don't know what Shopback is, maybe just share a little bit about what is Shopback, how does it work, and how did you get started? Basically, Shopback helps users to shop smarter. And and the key goal that, that we look at it is that every user, before they make a purchase, uh, make a lot of decisions. They have to think through many things. And our goal is really to help them automate that. Right. So number one, we give them extra rewards uh, if they buy through specific online merchants. Uh, we also help them compare prices across multiple places just to know for the exact same product they're going to buy, uh, is there somewhere else selling it cheaper for them? Then also, we notice that customers are searching for coupons, are searching for offers. And what we do is consolidate all of them together in one place so they can remove the time it takes to find all these things and to get the best deals. So essentially, uh, we want to be the pre-shopping destination for users and then they can go buy a good peace of mind, right? But, But our story started in 2014. The part that I think was very helpful for us is that we saw inspiration, right, from this model uh, happening in the U.S. What we did was to take this model and localize it for Asia, right? So uh, in the U.S., there was Ebates, E-B-A-T-E-S, and they were running this model very well. Eventually, they got acquired for $1 billion by Rakuten. Then there was Funly, F-A-N-L-I in China. Uh, Same thing, they, they are a unicorn as well. And even in the U.K., there's Quitco and Top Cashback. So for us, uh, we were looking at that and we were like, hey, you know, this model seems to work in multiple places, but not in our part of the world. Yeah, what a, what a journey. You know, you mentioned that you wanted to kind of simplify or almost take the risk out of the shopping experience where, you know, it sounds like Shopback when you start as a, more, a discovery tool for both online and offline retailers, right? Yes, because think about it, shopping it's supposed to be an enjoyable uh, process, right? That, that's something you do uh, in your free time where, you know, you, you buy things that you like. And, and I think there are a lot of decisions that have to be made uh, when you are shopping. Let's say you know something that you want to buy already, right? How do you find the best place to buy it? Uh, when is the best time to buy it? The, the fact of the matter is that customers don't have time to do all this type of research before they make a purchase. And, uh, you know, everyone le- leads a very bu- uh, they lead all busy lives. And for us, what we can do as a company is that we can help them do the research for them. All they need to do is to use us. We help them make the best decisions and they can go make the best shopping decisions once they have that information from us. And you mentioned that, you know, you drew inspiration from what was happening in other markets and you localized it. You know, tell us a little bit. How did how did you localize it? 
the model of bringing users to our partners, to our merchants, that's actually the same across. However, the way that this model is manifested uh, is manifested differently in the different markets. Right. So I'll just give some example. In the US, it's very much driven by the retailers and the brands. In China, it's very much driven by the brands already in the market. Right. And then for the UK, actually, you notice that a lot of the cashback is given for financial products, for insurance uh, products that you're buying, not so much on shopping. But when we look at Southeast Asia, uh, there are a few things that we felt were different. So number one, uh, there were a lot of brands uh, that were coming up for the first time. They might have been good in the offline space, but e-commerce is very new for them. Southeast Asia is a bit behind China, US, and, and, and the UK e-commerce. So what we're actually giving uh, them was actually a reward system whereby it rewards people for shopping online rather than offline. The second one is this. You know, we saw that our, some of our inspirational partners you know, were paying out in checks. So what it means is the cashback that you earn, you have to use a check to redeem it, right? And actually in, in Singapore and Southeast Asia, bank transfer is something that's very common. So we decided to use that as a cash out method. Even in more developing markets like Indonesia, uh, we actually launch cash outs into their bank credits, which is something that people use to top up uh, every month, right? So I, I think it's just little tweaks that we do that makes it much easier to use our platform that help us to stand out and become the market leader for this part of the world. Take us back to when you realized that you wanted to you know, quit your job and do this full-time. So for us, we were very clear. We wanted to quit our jobs the moment that we got signed term sheet at the money bank to the bank, right? So uh, we went around pitching, but uh, I think we were very clear that this model would work or has already worked. So I, I think that gave a lot of uh, confidence, I think, to the investors. So we brought this actually back to our school, uh, Alma Mata, and you know, they had an enterprise division. We brought it to them and uh, them together with another VC decided to invest in our very, very first round. I think the, the main part uh, that they were investing in were two points. The first part was the team, right? We had e-commerce experience. At that time, there were not many e-commerce professionals in, in the market. And we were one of them. The second one is that, you know, we are not jumping on any uh, crazy bandwagon idea. Uh, we actually have a model that works in, in, in different geographies, right? What we are saying is that nobody's doing it here now in Southeast Asia. Uh, somebody else will definitely do it eventually. So it's either you're going to bet on us or, or someone else is going to do it, right? So then I think these two pointers really gave them uh, the confidence to, to back us. And I think since then, they've made multiple folds on, on a return on investment on what they invested. Let's kind of step into what that first three to six months was like after you first launched. What was kind of keeping you up at night, you know, in those first, you know, six months? Oh, so, so maybe I can share in the very, very early days and then the early days, right? So in the very, very early days, we were like, you know, we don't want to have a full launch till we get everything right down to the pixel. Uh, but then we, we came to a stage whereby we say, hey, we have to launch the product. And, and I think that is something that I would say a lot of the incumbents uh, are, are unable to do, right? Because they always have to launch with a very good, pristine and, and perfect product. But, but you know, we are a scrappy startup, right? That, that's something we have to remember. And that's actually an advantage. We will always be in this mode of uh, trying to make things better, which is good. But, but you never have a chance to get any feedback or any customers uh, to study, right? So what we did was that we, had one, we gave ourselves one more week and we say, hey, you know, if you want to do everything you can do it this week, but by hook or by crook, we are going to launch on this day and it's going to go live. Uh, no more optimization. And we're going to uh, uh, tweak it as we go along. 
and, and and that actually was was a big change for us because we had, we shifted our efforts to doing things that were much more meaningful that directly impacted the customers. And how much time did you spend in that? I guess you. It sounds like you launched the beta version or limited version of of Shopback initially. That beta version that we had, I think that was like one to two months, right? And we we're like, hey. Uh, this tinkering has got to stop. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we're just going to put it out to the world. And with that, uh, we, we were able to get much better sources of, of feedback by real customers telling us why our product sucked or why our product was good. And using that, we were able to create an even much better product, right? Yeah. And then after that, we move on to the early days. I, I think the first thing about like product market fit is tracking how many new customers uh, were we getting, right? How many new customers are constantly coming in, signing up, making their first purchase. And then afterwards, it was looking at repeat orders whether they were buying more and, and, and being retained uh, by us. And uh, as time went by, then we start to deep dive a little bit more as we had more customers to play around with the data with. And we were able to say, you know, what segment of customers did we actually got, right? Who are these people, right? And how are they similar or different from our hypothesis? Okay, so on the metric, what you're saying is that you, you weren't just measuring new customer acquisition, you were measuring repeat order, you know, second purchase. Was it specifically, was it time to second purchase? And were you, did you have, were you running experiments to see what you could do to, to trigger that, that second purchase? Yes. So for us, I think what we've learned is that if you have enough money to spend on paid or, or any marketing campaign, you surely will have new customers. There is no debate there on, on getting new customers. I, I think the part for us was whether there was going to be a second purchase and subsequent purchase. And what we found out is once the customer made a second purchase, the odds of him staying is very high. Right? He has used our product twice and he is fairly sticky to, to that product. And when we trace this type of users, they, they tend to stay for, for a pretty uh, long time. So our goal is now on how do we get him to make a second purchase? So then what we try to do is run different types of campaigns and then measure them on, on a cohort uh, basis to say, hey, how many of them made a second purchase? And our goal was always, uh, the campaigns team was always uh, targeting them to say, if you had just signed up, not made a purchase, how do I nudge you on a little bit more? to make that first purchase. After you make the first purchase, how can we get you to make that second purchase? And then you're on your own. Early days, there was, there was just not enough people to, to form a cohort. All the cohort will be formed by mainly shopback users or our parents and our friends. So after six months, that really gave us a, a much better cohort benchmark. And then we we're able to see whether we're doing much better along the way. And, and then after that, we also tried to look at how many of these people uh, referred somebody else. Because the referral ratio actually tells you how much they like your product, that they're willing to stick their head out and say, hey, hey guys, you know, check out this product. I used it. It's pretty good. You should try it. And so just for our audience who might not be familiar with cohort analysis, so, so what you're saying is you, know, you somewhat ignored maybe the first three months customer behavior because it was somewhat influenced by friends and family. People that love you. <laughs> and then after that, you know, it gave you more of a a clear view of more of a month over month behavior of the customer. And you were looking for, you know, leading indicators to customers, not only getting to their second purchase, but churning, right? Like losing customers as well. Yes. Yeah, so the goal is just to find out how, because you definitely will lose some customers along the way. That, that's part and parcel, right? So the, what you need to find out is whether are you losing more customers this month compared to last month or are more customers staying with you this month compared to last month, right? That, that actually should be the goal because as long as you're improving month on month, uh, you, you actually will reach a, a much better state uh, months on, right? Because I think sometimes people get very fixated on like, you know, I, I'm not at 20%, I'm at 18%, right? But like, 
who told you it should be at 20%, right? No, nobody knows that, right? What you need to, to know is that every month you are improving and that is actually something that, that is super uh, important, right? If, if you're improving month on month, uh, you surely reach the state that, that you need to be. That, that's the ironic truth. So you, you only feel that way in retrospect, right? But at that point of time, as, as a founder, you, you always are thinking, why do 80% of signups uh, not convert to make the first purchase. Uh, that's always on your mind at a point of time. It's only sometime along whereby you you look back and say, hey, you know, actually we've grown quite a bit since then. So I think if you really want to give yourself a benchmark, compare yourself month to month, week to week, uh, that would give you something inspirational to to go on, right? But the for us, the aha moment, I think that we were onto something was when we launched this product, I think after seven months in Malaysia exact same product we, we launched it localized it for malaysia and, and it took off as well right so so that was the aha moment whereby we were like you know like the potential that we have for this could be huge and on, on that topic of of growth and marketing right there's been um, a shift recently i would say especially you know in, in the midst of covid 19 where incumbents are rebalancing their marketing budgets between constantly between brand marketing and digital marketing or, or performance marketing what's your opinion on the on the split yeah i think both are important uh on both sides right so uh I, but i think the the for me the the key thing to look at is really at what stage uh, are you and and what you should what should that mix be at at what stage so when you put yourself in the shoes of, of a founder right and it's very early days budget is uh, limited i would place my money in performance uh, marketing right because i'm able to optimize it i'm able to tweak it along the way i'm not making an all nothing bad i'm not doing it all in and hoping that you know i i hit something you've mentioned in the past that you had an original hypothesis of who your target segment would be and how that changed tell tell us what you learned from from focusing on the performance marketing and and understanding your your customer segment Yes. So, you know, I always tell this story of this hypothesis that we had that shop bags, uh, key users would be students because they want to save money and, you know, they are so tech savvy. And um, so when we started, we, that, that's how we, we targeted. That's how we pushed. And then lo and behold, after a few months, we look at our target audience, right? They were not students. There, a lot of them were moms. They were moms uh, buying online products. They were finance professionals. Uh, they were administrators. They were tech professionals, people that were working in the, the tech seat or the startup seat, right? And, and that was actually quite different from our hypothesis. So, so now if I bring that back to the discussion between brand marketing and performance marketing, if at that time I decided to do an all-in bet and say, hey, you know, we got to buy billboards and, and plaster all the schools, right? I, I don't know whether the shop bag, shop bag is still here today, right? Because we'll be spending all our resources on that, right? But because we spend on, I think, performance marketing or, or, or more measurable forms of marketing, uh, that helped us to, I think, better understand the customers that were streaming in and be able to double down onto different uh, type. Of course, right? As you're much bigger, letting people know about the brand. And, and that totally makes sense because you'll reach a stage whereby by loss of diminishing return, performance marketing starts to diminish in terms of the ROI that it can bring for you. And then to get new pools of customers, you have to try new channels. But I think for this specific use case of uh, early stage founders, uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, it, it would make much more sense to get more data and understand your customers first before deciding to do an all-in bet. Right. What's interesting about growth for you is, you know, Shopback is, seems like a two-sided 
network uh, in terms of a business. You have the supply and demand. You know, we, we've been talking a lot about the demand side based on what consumers prefer. And it's interesting that it went beyond students, right? But tell us a little bit about the supply side, you know, your your merchants, your partners, where are you focusing right now? And, and you know, what what's the value proposition to them, to your merchants, and, and uh, whether it be online or offline? So one part we we notice just every merchant has different KPIs that that they have. So we try to group them together. So one type of merchant we notice, uh, they they decide to focus a lot more on user acquisition. So they want us to be able to help them grow their user base, right? So we have a fairly big user base that's very targeted because these are online shoppers. And then our goal would be to say, hey, what are the similar types of users that we have that are currently not your users? And we try to run campaigns or what we call challenges. To, to get these users to, to make that first purchase on, on this uh, merchants, right? So it could be a bounty if you make your first purchase. It could be a bounty if you spend a minimum sum there. The second one is uh, for uh, helping them increase their sales, right? So that, that to me is quite important because we noticed that for a lot of merchants, even though they already acquired that customer, retention is definitely something that, you know, they, they should be looking at as well. So for these brands and these uh, merchants, they, what they're thinking about is how can you be an additional channel for me that helps me to blast out to more people, right? That are already my users, but might not be able to constantly see my office and my uh, campaigns, right? And and I think what a lot of the channels do is that they charge them on a per view basis or per click basis, right? So I think for us, we tell them that we can do the same for them, but it's on a per sale model, right? So that, that I think has helped them a lot because uh, they want to ensure that they get that sale, right? And then if they make money on that sale, they're happy to share it with you. So it's performance-based, yeah. It's performance-based. Yeah, all the way to the sale, right? COVID has added a lot of complexity to that because a lot of times when they are charged on per click or per view, during COVID, you can deliver a lot of clicks and maybe the user even made the purchase. But a lot of these orders, for example, cannot be delivered or they are the wrong product. They cannot be shipped from the location that's outside of the country. So, but they still have to pay these tech giants, right? They have to pay Facebook and Google regardless. So that's when I think this cost per sale model was very helpful because if the order is cancelled, we don't charge them a single cent. So we are 100% aligned with them, right? Because if you lose that order, we lose our commissions. We're not going to charge you for something that you, you don't earn at all. So I think that really helped us a lot in COVID, in the COVID period, whereby a lot more brands were willing to try this out because they really have no risk, right? So if I'm an online merchant or offline merchant, and I want to see Shopback as a channel that drives sales in the, like 100% uh, attribution. Yes, correct. And it makes it much easier for you to plan your budget, right? Because uh, most of the budgets are planned or as a percentage of margins I get or as a percentage of revenue I get. So essentially, you're just saying, you know, whatever margin, I'm, I'm just going to give some to, to shop back. So so that helps us uh, quite a bit uh, in terms of getting uh, inroads into, into these uh, brands and these merchants. And are you able to share, like, so they're willing to share a piece of the pie, a commission of sorts. Are they sharing, you know, 1%, uh, 5%, 10%, any range you can share? Yeah, so it really depends on the margins that they make. So, for example, like, you know, we, we, we work with the OTAs. These guys have much higher margins. Uh, then, you know, they can increase the amount that they give. So then sometimes they can go the double digits more than 10%, uh, 13%. But then you, you're talking about, let's say, other players like, like, general marketplaces, then maybe they're talking about 1% to 2%, uh, percent, right? Because that, that's actually all the margin that they make, or maybe they don't even make margin, but they still want that sale to keep coming in. We are 
very vertical specific. So if your vertical is a low margin vertical, we are more than happy to accept that lower cost per sale, right? Because we understand that if we take the OTA rate onto you, uh, there's actually no way you'll make money and there's no way you want to work with us. So, so that, that's how we think about it. Let's close off with uh, some rapid fire questions. You can answer with one word or a few sentences and just, uh, just share what's top of mind without giving up any, any uh, secrets. In a world without Shopback, what startup or company would you want to work for? Facebook. Facebook. Okay. And in one or two sentences, what does success mean for you personally at Shopback? So cash back that uh, customers can earn. What is the most important trait you look for in a new hire? The ability to understand the mistakes that, that they have made and be open to, to changing that. What's your favorite metric right now to understand the health of Shopback? Retention. Like how many users are, are retained with Shopback. And what new feature, initiative, or partnership uh, gets you the most excited 2021? Uh, I would say our, our push towards offline. So we want to bring Shopback or this cost per sale model to the offline space, right? Uh, for the longest time, these guys are used to paying for billboards, used to paying for newspaper ads. Somebody has to bring them affiliate marketing, right? Uh, very common in, in the online space, but nobody has done it for the offline space. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end it on, on that topic. Uh, I, I mean, I, I could probably talk for another hour just on the offline space alone, but uh, I think uh, I will let you go. Joel, thank, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great conversation and uh, look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's a very, very fun chat. You have been listening to The Venture with me, Andrew Roth. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode next month.